What's up, people? Welcome back to Authentically Us, the podcast where we talk about what it means to be authentic in everything that you do in every space that you attend. I'm here with Tony. Tony, say what's up to the people, man. Yo, what's going on, everybody? How authentic you being right now? That was good. I like that. And I'm Conroy. And today, I know we say this every time. You must be getting tired of it, but we have an awesome guest today. Um, uh, this guest has an amazing story. Um, she has a book coming, or she has a book out and another book on the way. Um, and we just talk about so many things. But before I announce the guest, I want you guys to leave us a rating. Yeah, please leave us a rating, Re- you review, know, review. Tell somebody about us. Share us because uh, our our episodes are just getting better. I would say they're getting gooder and gooder. Oh. <laughs> to be honest, Tom. <laughs> oh yeah, gooder and gooder. I love it. So today we have Kiara Imani. Um, this is going to be a great episode. So let's jump right in. Let's get it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Authentically Us, where we talk about what it means to be authentically who we are in the spaces that we occupy. So today on our um, on this episode, we have Kiara Imani. She's the author of Therapy Isn't Just for White People, which that's an amazing title. <laughs> Um, she's a radio host uh, for Talk Radio. She's the creator of Like You Cards uh, that you can buy at Target. And she's the host of the uh, the Sworn Testimonies podcast. What's up, Kiara? How are you doing? I am doing so well. Thank you all for having me today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us a bit about who you are, your childhood, where you grew up. Yeah, it's so interesting, especially being in LA when people ask, what do you do? Because I feel like everyone's a slash. It's like, (laughs) I'm this slash this slash this. Uh, But I would say overall, I think about myself as a storyteller, still tell stories, I curate stories, I provide platforms for other people to share their stories. I grew up in Manassas, Virginia, which most people have probably never heard of. But if you have, it's probably because, you know, it's the first battle of the Civil War. Shout out to history class. (laughs) Uh, It's a place where the South actually won the battle. So I grew up with friends whose parents were doing battle reenactments uh, for, you know, the victory of the South, the conservatives. You would think that they all thought the South won. They didn't get the memo that they won the battle, but they lost the war. Uh, So grew up predominantly in Manassas, also spent a lot of time in Charlottesville, Virginia, and lived in Georgia for a while too. So, you know, went to school in predominantly white areas, pretended, attended a predominantly white institution, University of Virginia, And it actually wasn't until college that I really started to think more critically about my identity as a Black person, more specifically a Black woman, and how I kind of fit into the world. Wow. Um, Okay, so I have so many more questions now. This is awesome. Okay, so I went to Liberty University, um, and then we would always go up to UVA for like track meets and stuff. Um, and I also lived in I Gainesville. Only know, I only know like a handful of black people that went to Liberty. Yeah. So, oh man, we got so much to, to unpack today. Oh my gosh. Um, and then I lived in Gainesville, Virginia. Um, so I know Manassas very well. Um, people in Gainesville actually call it Manasty. Yeah. <laughs> I know Gainesville too. My mom had a pediatrics office in Gainesville for like 10 years. So wow wow this is awesome okay so um you went to pwi and predominantly white institution uva which is very 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 white Mm um um so before we jump into like your book and all your great accolades uh, i did want to kind of dive into i wanted to pull back um i don't know if it was 2019 or 2020 or maybe 2021 but when 
those things at UVA were, were happening. Um, I forget what it was. Um, oh, the, yeah, we had the, con- I have to say the Confederates, the new fangled KKK that kind of took over the lawn. Yeah. And we wanted yeah. to defend the statues of civil rights. Yep. Not civil rights, the uh, civil war. They wanted to defend the statues from the generals and were very hesitant to having the university pull them down. Yeah. So it's like, it's very interesting because I mean, we, Tony and I are from Pennsylvania and we're right near Gettysburg, which is another big war area. Um, and you, it's very interesting because I'm sure much like um, Tony and I, you probably grew up around seeing rebel flags, like just normal, especially being in Charlottesville. Um, can you talk a little bit about like your experience um, just growing up in those very uh, white areas, being a not only a black person, but more importantly, a black woman? Yeah. So it's the all of the stuff that happened at UVA. That was actually my sister's first year of college. So she did an interview, I think, with a vice that first year. Like, what is it like to be a black student who Mm -hmm. actually ended up living on the lawn when you just had a whole group of, you know, the KKK storming the, the lawn? What was that like for you? And I can honestly say that a lot of stuff that I experienced growing up, I didn't know that it was racist until I had an opportunity to look back because mm-hmm. you need something to compare your experiences to yeah. otherwise it's just very normal for you. Yeah. Uh, so even thinking back to the, the battles and the praise, you know, Manassas used to celebrate every single year, the battle of Manassas and the battle of Bull Run and seeing people celebrate the victory of the South growing mm-hmm. up down the street from schools like Stonewall Jackson, named after Civil War generals and roads and, you know, named after Civil War generals and statues and this constant reminder that the South could have won the war. And a lot of people will tell you that it was about states' rights, but we do know a huge piece of the war was actually about slavery. So I think there's this, like, this subtle reminder that you're different and- The, the South could have won and things would have been different. And also we're celebrating the victories of the South mm. and how deeply offensive that is. And even mm. a lot of the things I heard about, you know, when I got into UVA kids at school, like, well, you only got in because you're black and mm. the high school yeah. I attended growing up, I used to go into the bathrooms and there'd be things like go back to Mexico um, written on the walls and graffiti and you know, the, the piece of my school where we would put all of the Latinos, all of their lockers and stuff, we call it the fishbowl and just a lot of things that yeah. I were so normalized and, until I started talking to other people about their experiences. I was like, oh, this actually isn't normal. This is kind of a problem. Mm. Wow. That, that's so that's so wild because I think Tony and I grew up in very similar situations like that mm-hmm. where... We grew up in very white areas. And like you said, it's like you don't realize it's racist until until you talk to somebody. And actually, one of the reasons why Tony and I started this podcast is because we started to dive into these real authentic conversations, um, especially during the pandemic. And you mentioned that um, you you really didn't dive into your blackness until later. So like what like what made you like dive into that and like understanding like, oh, wow, those things that I just grew up around was not okay. It was a variety of things. I would say interesting enough, even though UVA is a very white school, it was the first time I had a group of all black friends Mm -hmm. and we were able to kind of compare our experiences because it was a lot of black friends who grew up in predominantly white neighborhoods and areas like myself. And you know, just realizing little things like we could talk about who we should go to to get our hair done and colorism and boys and our experiences with all the black guys back home dating white girls and how that made us feel. And I was like, oh, there are a lot of things that we have in common. There are things that I've been missing in our my interpersonal relationships as it pertains Mm -hmm. to just being able to process race that Mm -hmm. I didn't know were even possible. 
Uh, and then I also think at UVA, I was really lucky to have a lot of great professors and take classes like Black femininity and masculinity or Black politics in the media and exposed to a lot of Black writers and Black thinkers. Mm -hmm. And this whole world opened up for me because I don't know about y'all, but we didn't really read any books by Black people in high school, like at all, as if our, our voices, our stories were not important to contribute to just our academic pursuit. Yeah, it's to to go along with that. I remember when I uh, visited Conroy out in San Diego last year. Um, he's been living out there now for what, Roy, seven years? Yeah. And I would always joke, like, hey, when are you coming back to the East Coast? Um, but then when I went out there and saw the amazing community of rich black people that he could connect with and do life with i was like oh this is why you don't come back <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah that's that's extremely important so um uh how from this like friend group how did how did that transform your life to to embracing your blackness even more I, I yeah it's, it's such a great question and uh in my book therapy isn't just for white people i have a whole chapter whole section dedicated to black hair because i think for a lot of black women that you speak to you can kind of get a sense for their own identity journey as they talk about their hair journey. And even for the first time, you know, towards the end of college, going into law school, embracing my natural hair texture mm -hmm. and realizing that I didn't have to perm my hair and use chemicals to make it straight in order to be beautiful. And I, it can sound very uh, like, just aesthetic when you're when you're thinking black hair I know other people are probably like why is black hair such a big deal for black women but I think so much of our process and even our journey in this history has been tied to hair right like mm. just the idea that in yeah. most states still you can discriminate against people's hairstyles you can tell people that can't wear dreads to work or natural hair or twists because it's not professional looking uh just the idea that being in corporate America means changing up your hair and, and making it palatable, putting a style that white people can identify with. I talked about when I was in high school, I really wanted bleach blonde hair because all my white friends had bleach blonde hair and Marsha Brady had bleach blonde yeah. hair. So I took the bleach from the laundry room and got in the oh. shower and put it in my hair. You can imagine it did not come out bleach blonde the way I thought it would. Instead, yeah. it was just like a Brillo pad. Um, oh no. Yeah, it was terrible, but just even like subtle realizations of switching my narrative from mm. I have to learn how to exist as a Black person in the world to I'm really proud to be mm. a Black person in the world. And I think once you make that shift in your mind, it opens up so many possibilities for you because you open up possibilities for yourself. That's so powerful because yeah. I, I think once a Black person realizes that, um, I think we're very, very, I don't want to say dangerous, but it's like, once a black person realizes that it's like, we get this power and I don't know if it's like from our ancestors or whatever, but it's just like, wow, like I'm going to be authentically me. And honestly, I would say with hair, I, I was thinking the same thing. Um, I know, uh, my girlfriend, she, she has, like she's been applying for interviews and stuff right so when she goes into an interview like she, yeah she's nervous about the interview but what she's also nervous about is like what's she gonna do to her hair and i'm like mm. wow i never thought about that mm. until um the pandemic happened right and everybody was growing their hair out because we couldn't go to the barber shop and stuff or whatever and i remember when i originally got twist i was like oh this is nice but then i was like kind of nervous to like walk out and then like when the world started opening i was kind of nervous and then I was just like, why, why is this like yeah. overarching fear of like approval of my hair? Um, like so much a part of who I am, but it is true. It's a part of black culture, like yeah. hair and 
I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's a part of us. It's always kind of been a symbol for how willing we are to assimilate. So, you know, mm. black men that keep their hair really short and, you know, black women, they're straightening their hair. It's like, you're black, but you're trying really hard to be one of us. You're trying to fit in. Mm. I think when you see black people with very natural styles, we can even think back to, you know, Angela Davis and how Afros and natural hair were so connected to being progressive. I think a lot of people think, oh, you're rebels. You're not just a black person trying to fit in you're black black and that scares mm, a lot of people yeah mm-hmm. yeah well and, and i mean it just goes to show how just our blackness is so weaponized that like i'm sure part of your fear conroy in growing your hair out was like do i look like a threat now mm. whereas like with short hair like that's normal for Safe, safer yeah it's safer and i know for me i i often didn't like doing anything to my hair for the longest time because i would have white people always wanting to touch my hair like even when i would you know wear do rag, brush my hair and get waves like white people thought it was cool to run their fingers through my hair and it's like no like that's not okay like yeah stop so yeah i mean your 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 book title is so like uh, like when anybody reads it it's like okay yes. what is this book about you yep. know therapy isn't just for white people what inspired the book uh i would say a lot of different things i went into you know writing my first book thinking i was going to write a fiction book i still have a lot of fiction books i plan to write and one i'm working on now but for anybody that knows about the creative or writing process as you're developing characters you start going through the character arcs like okay what is what are these persons what are their fears what makes them tick what are their strengths mm-hmm. and weaknesses what are their traumas and as you're developing your own character you start to think about the people in your life and your own story Mm -hmm. and I was just really thinking a lot about my own story as I was developing my characters and I was like man there's actually a lot here like Mm -hmm. I'm a character I have a story to tell uh and I didn't really know how I wanted to frame the story I knew that I wanted to tell the story of uh I think what the media sometimes labels as like an alt black girl And all black girl, I think in the media has also taken on this idea of a black girl that goes to rock concerts and is into grunge and anime and all those things. Anime is cool. But just the experience of a black person who's grown up in white neighborhoods and like watched white movies and the black girl who's told, oh, you talk like a white girl and the balancing of even in those experiences still being black like what does it actually Mm. mean to be black it's not actually shaped by you know the music that you listen to or the other types of you know people that you're talking to it's actually shaped by the color of your skin it's shaped by who like your cultural identity and really wanting to kind of dive into that Mm -hmm. Uh, and therapy I think is the place where I for the very first time was actually starting to think really critically about past and how the past influences the present i always tell people you know when you go to the doctor one of the first things they ask you is about your family history why is that because we understand that the past has an effect on the present when you're in school we're forced to learn history and then we compare what's happened historically in the past to what's happening now and we have this understanding that what's happened actually has a huge impact on like who we are Mm -hmm. and I was a person who had a lot of anxiety and really just went to therapy to deal with that I told my therapist like the the very first session because I was hesitant to go like a lot of black people Mm -hmm. I think we're very much brought up sometimes to believe you know you can just pray it away Mm -hmm. and you're too blessed to be stressed and what do you need? I still get that. Like, you don't need therapy. You have Jesus. And so I was very hesitant to even try the therapy yeah. thing. But even when I went in, I was like, look, 
I'm just here to talk about anxiety. We don't need to talk about my past. I'm not crazy. I don't have any trauma. Very self-aware. Read a lot of self-help. I listen to Oprah. Like you're, I'm going to be a very easy patient. Like there's nothing in my past that you not need to- Not Oprah. <laughs> Obviously very cocky. Uh, and then just realizing how untrue that was and how so yeah. much of my past experiences really were affecting who I was. And I was like, man, I think in general, you know, access to therapy, we can talk about how hard that is or trying to find a therapist that's mm -hmm. black or one that's culturally competent, yeah. one you feel comfortable with, one you can afford with your insurance. Uh, mm -hmm. But most importantly, I really wanted people of color to know how much the things that we go through in our life, our experiences, our traumas, our micro traumas have an effect on us and how important it is to deconstruct those mm -hmm. experiences. Mm -hmm and, you know, attack our limiting beliefs, really build back up who we believe we are in the world, because otherwise we limit our capabilities and what we're, what's possible for us. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So what you, you talked a little bit about like starting to go to therapy, what's your journey been like now, uh, currently in therapy? So I, I still go to therapy, not weekly like I was before. I started out going weekly and then it was bi-weekly. Then my therapist was like, okay, I think you have the tools that you need to, to handle things as they come up. And I say that that's probably uh, one of the best pieces of going to therapy to me, learning mm -hmm. how to disassociate myself from my thoughts. I'm not my thoughts to be really mm -hmm. objective and ask myself how I'm feeling and why I'm feeling, why I'm feeling and giving myself permission to feel that way. And then asking myself, where might this have come from? And what, is, what do you believe about yourself in this moment? What are you mm -hmm. believing that might not be true? Like I just had tools to be able to process. Uh, mm -hmm. But as I continue to have different life experiences, as we all do, life continues to evolve and change. Um, constantly hitting up my therapist for a session. So probably more like once a month ish now, but it's become just such an important part of my self-care journey because you would be, for those who haven't been, you would be amazed how many things you just accept in the world as true that aren't necessarily true. Mm. They've just been your experience. Mm. And like, yeah. for example, I, you know, I'll, I'll give you another example, not one that's in my book. Uh, there was one time I was talking to my therapist and I was at, at work talking about how I was at work and having a hard day and my boss was driving me crazy and I was really stressed out and I was going to cry, but I wasn't about to cry at work because crying is weak and I would just never do that. That's not a place to cry. And then she stopped me and was like, where did you learn that crying was weak? And mm -hmm. I had to really sit with myself and ask that question because it was a thing that I just accepted as true about the world that I never really asked myself, where did it come from? And why do I believe that? Because so often the stories we're telling ourselves in our head, the voices we're hearing, they're not even coming from us. Sometimes it's society or a mom or a cousin or a kid in the third grade, or just some experience you've had where you've, you know, built up all these belief systems. And it's like, I don't even think that that's what I believe about the world. Yeah. That's just what I've been yeah. handed. Yep. Yep. That's so powerful because I I feel like the older we get, the more we even like we think about, oh, my my mom and my my grandparents told me this. And then now I think about it, I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, why did they tell me that? And it was just like now I'm trying to process those things. Um, and I, Tony and I are big proponents of of therapy. Um, we both um have gone or are going through therapy and why do you think the black experience with therapy is like disconnected? Because, you know, growing up, I mean, you, I mean, like you said, you, you still hear it. Like you can just pray it away. Like, you know, as, as a believer, it's like, yes, this, I went to a Christian school. So hearing that, like, Oh, I don't you should th consider therapy. I'm like, well, I have the greatest counselor, you know, and <laughs> you, you talk about these things, but what I've learned is Jesus plus counseling is like the best combination ever, yes. but in the black society in the black community, it's just not, it's frowned upon like, Oh, that's just the crazy uncle or, you know, you'll be all right. Or take, mm. take these pills, like take a nap. Like, why do you think in your opinion, why is there a disconnect? 
I think it comes back to a lot of things. Uh, one thing I write about in my book is the mistrust in general of the medical system by black mm. people. Got to start there. And you can talk mm. about like the Tuskegee experiments where they were performing, you know, experimental procedures on black men trying to see how syphilis would affect them. When in reality, they had told the men, you know, we're going to be curing you and you want to see the cure. And really they were doing nothing. They just wanted to see how it affected them without cure. Um, and you can talk about like the, Man- Man- I was going to say Manassas, Mississippi appendectomies, where they were telling black women they were going to take out their appendix and really they were sterilizing them. Mm. And just throughout history, just, you know, even re- up until recently, they used to have in textbooks, the idea that black women could endure more pain. So, you know, we can, there's certain, we don't always need medication the way other people need medication mm. and so much historical mistrust. And I think that that is valid and a reason a lot of people just don't trust the system. It's like, how are you going to use this information that I'm giving you against me? Mm-hmm. And I know in a lot of black communities too, there's this idea of not putting your business in the streets, not telling people too much. People are going to weaponize any information that you give them. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's a big cultural piece of it. I think yeah. from a, a religion piece of it, I was listening to this woman, Dr. Anita Phillips. She is a minister, but also a mental health practitioner. And she was talking about how in African villages, a lot of times they had healers and the heal in the healers were simultaneously spiritual healers, but they also were like talk therapists and they mm. would talk people through their problems. And there was so much of a connection between the two and how we've forgotten that healing is mm. bigger than just a prayer. I mean, for those that are believers, you can look at the book of Proverbs and see there's a whole book of wisdom and from people that have experienced things that you have not experienced that might help make your experiences better, which to yeah. me says that God fully understands the point of having people in your life who can help you break down certain scenarios and speak words of wisdom into yeah. your life outside of just sitting down and praying. And I think on top of that, even it's hard enough being a black person in America There are so many labels that are attached to us. We're not as intelligent or competent. We're ratchet and loud and ghetto. And why would you want to add crazy to that list, Mm -hmm. right? Like, why would you want to add another thing? Nobody wants to be a a Black person who has all of these labels and then add, well, now there's something wrong with you on top of that. Then there are just all these things kind of floating in the water, then you think about the the stereotype of the strong black man who can do anything, provide for his family, never cries, handles it like a man, like toughen up. Then you have the strong black woman, hashtag black girl magic. And she has these special magical superpowers that in some ways dehumanize her. And neither of those stereotypes carry with them somebody that is weak sometimes, that that needs help, that cries out, that doesn't really have it all together there's not a lot of space for that in our communities and I think we're coping with all of those things and for a lot of people I I've always say I want them to understand too therapy is not about being weak and it's not about being crazy it's really just getting to know yourself that's mm-hmm. it it's just yeah. building the strongest relationship you can with yourself mm-hmm. that's really good uh I want to go back to talking about your book more. What was the most challenging chapter to write? Uh, I would probably say it changed and shifted as I was going through the book. But one of the most challenging chapters was probably my chapter on faith, because I talk about my own deconstruction process and having to separate politics for faith and realizing that the very white evangelical church I grew up in where they're like, you know, Jesus loves everybody, but not Mexicans and not really people of color and not gay people. And he doesn't really love that. Like there were just so many people who were left out of the Mm. love conversation and just trying to reconcile a lot of like, we're supposed to reach out and do our best and heal people in the world as long as they stay where they're at they cross the border then now they're rapists and they're terrible people and we hate them and you know only christians vote for republicans and that's what it means to be a true christian and i I just needed to kind of separate for myself 
straight yeah. from politics. I think just the Western idea of Christianity and what it looks like was so ingrained in racism and even learning about how uh, the first use of the word Jesus, I read that we have documented in the U.S. because, you know, they did not call Jesus Jesus back in the day. It was Yahweh and people spoke Hebrew and Greek. The first documented use of the actual word Jesus was a slave ship came over named Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. Mm -hmm. And they told the, the families of the slaves that they were going to be bringing them over to to learn this new religion and really they came over and they were slaves uh and learning about how when they would give the bible to slaves the slave bible a lot of times they would take out exodus because they didn't want yeah. them to read about moses and people escaping and it was like okay i still believe in god and i still believe in jesus i think not this white jesus i don't know who that is that y'all have constructed yeah. like yeah. 60s hippie that you know that just doesn't even fit with you know what I'm reading but like how what is do I think is actually coming from God and what is coming from people like what are mm. political beliefs and because yeah. we know over the course of history people have tried to use religion to further their own political motives and to gain power that's just yeah. the truth um yeah. so I really kind of dive into having to deconstruct and figure out for myself like who do you personally believe God is. And I had to kind of step away from a lot of church to be able to do that because for better or for worse, churches a, a lot of times filled with spaces where people are trying to more or less like shove down your throat, their interpretation of the gospel. And it doesn't yeah. really open it up for you to have your own interpretation of what's going on. And even now I have a lot of people, especially black people that push back against this chapter. They get really defensive without even having read it i had a woman the other day text me like or, or sorry facebook message me therapy isn't just for white people but neither is jesus you need you just need jesus and i was like she doesn't get it yeah. she doesn't no. get it <laughs> no she's, she's came through uh, it well i was gonna um i was gonna ask what was your well uh, well first of all we did, literally just did a podcast and we talked about um like blackness and tony help me with this word white evangelicalism white evangelicalism and we literally talked about these same things yep. about how this white jesus is just not what you read in the scripture you know so um i'm glad that you 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 talk about that in the book and i'm, I'm sure that was probably a tough a tough chapter especially i just hearing your story and hearing like where you grew up you know, being black. And then I'm sure there was a transition to get to California. Cause I don't know about you, but when I came here, it was very different. Um, growing, uh, like growing up on the East coast, very conservative area to California, which is far, far the other, other way. Um, I did want to ask you, what was your favorite chapter to write? Uh, I would probably say that my favorite chapter to write are the ones I wrote about my grandparents. Uh, specifically my grandma Connie who actually passed away during COVID uh, 2020 she passed away from COVID uh, and she never actually got to read the book but I spent so much time with her before she passed away mm. collecting family stories and you know hearing yeah. about her experiences and I kind of think about my book as like a precipice for that I don't know if I hadn't committed to sitting down and putting these stories to paper that I would have spent so much time with her in her last few years not knowing those were her last few years uh, so I think I'll always kind of think back about that and mm. just really fondly and also it's so important to understand our ancestry. I love yes. that quote. Like, if you don't understand where you came from, how can you possibly know where you're going? And yeah. like I was saying earlier, so many spaces in life, we fully recognize how important it is to look at your history, to get a, a, a clear idea of who you are and where you're at. I think it's really fun to hear family stories and be like, oh, my great granddad did that, or that's just like me, or that's where yeah, that right. comes from, or to even see old pictures and to look for yourself in them. And it's, just really powerful knowing what's in your DNA and what's possible and what's passed down through DNA. I think a lot of times mm. we downplay the idea that so much of who we are actually does physically, not just spiritually and emotionally, like physically comes from 
our parents, our mm. grandparents, our yeah. great grandparents. And I think especially in communities of color, we tend to have family units where people are raised by grandma or lived with grandma or, you know, super close with aunties. We have this, and like a lot of other cultures do, I know with in America specifically, a lot of white culture is just like the family unit that's like mom, dad, brother, sister, and everybody else is kind of on the outside. But a lot of communities of color, like, no, your family is not just your, your nuclear family. It's your extended family. Uh, yeah. So it was cool to be able to tell those stories. That's, that's great. Yeah, that's so awesome. Um, tell us more about how people have been receiving your book. Yeah, I think for the most part, I've gotten just really great responses. I think from Black people, there's this quote that I love that says, the most powerful words in the world besides I love you or me too. Uh, even mm. Conroy, we had that moment where it's like, wait, you grew mm. up in Virginia? I grew up in Virginia. You get really excited when you... Yeah people that have had your experiences and so I've had so many people of color specifically black women reaching out like oh my gosh that was my experience too and like you used to put a towel on your head and pretend it was like long hair like I did that too and it makes you feel very seen and not so isolated uh so that's been a really cool response and then in some ways it's been sad as well because I have stories where I just talk about some really hard stuff I've been through and to see that so many people of color have been through similar responses, it's, uh, it's, I would say it brings us together, but it's also a little bit sad that it's still such a universal experience, like racism. Yeah. Um, and then from a lot of white people, I've gotten just complete shock. I assume, you know, in 2022 with TV and with all of these movements we had and with all of the education that's available that white people have an understanding, a baseline understanding of what it's like to be Black in America. And what I'm finding, even in people's responses to my book, is that they really don't. They are so completely shocked by some of the experiences I've had. I talked about a professor that I had at UVA when I was in law school, and he used to say, like, you're so smart for a colored girl. And they just can't believe that things like that are still happening. Uh, and so the shock, I think I, I love that people are starting to more fully understand what it is that we're experiencing, but it's also a little disheartening because I'm like, dang, that you, our stories, even though I feel like people should know like what our struggles are, we just have not told enough of our stories. People have not been students of Black stories enough yeah. to really understand yeah. what the experience is like. Yeah, that's that's so important. And I was talking with, um, you know, some friends here in San Diego about that, you know, like after 2020, even into 2021, when we had to keep explaining and keep saying like, hey, this is why that's not okay," or this is um, what we've talked about or this is like. I have to keep having this conversation in the workplace or with this person. But we also had a, we had a conversation with another one of our friends and it's like, you know, it's important that we keep having those conversations because it's for our ancestors who couldn't have them. Yeah. So yes, it's annoying for us now. However, um, going forward, it's like, hopefully our kids and our grandkids and their kids won't have to continue to have these conversations. Maybe we'll take a step further, even though, some of these things are still happening in 2022. Yeah. yeah. Maybe in 2041, it, it'll be something our kids won't have to go through, you know? Yeah. That's the dream. That's the dream. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, I did want to ask about you. You developed these like you cards. Let's talk a little bit about that. What tell, tell the audience a little bit of like, first, what inspired it? And then like, what, what are the like you cards? Yeah, so I'll start with what are they? Uh, They're a getting to know you card game that allows you to get to know people in your life a little bit better. Uh, We try to keep the questions very PG, maybe a little some of them PG-13, but for the most part, very PG, since you can play with family and grandma and coworkers or on a first date. And I think in this space in our society, and this kind of goes into the why we created them as well. I created them with two of my colleagues, but 
I think we're so obsessed with labels and we mm. try, we label people mm -hmm. and then we put people in a box based on the labels that we've given them. It's like, what's your sexuality? What's your race? What's your gender? What's your religion? What's your political affiliation? What's your socioeconomic status? And just all these labels that have become so common. And then what do you do for a living? And, and once people have all of the labels, it's like they decide who you are just based upon your answer to those questions. And we really wanted to create a, a game that brought humanity back to people. And mm. so much of our humanity is found in our stories. And mm. there are a lot of things you might have in common with someone or that you like you, people who are like you, then you might never even take the time to find out because you've already given them all these labels and decided who they were as a person. So we really wanted to create like a fun, engaging game to do that. And so the game has questions like, if you had a warning label, what would it say? Do you guys want to answer that? If you had a warning label, what would it say? Oh, man. Okay. What would my warning label say? Um, my warning label would say, like, warning. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to put this, but essentially warning please plan ahead of time <laughs> something like that because i like i value my time so when things are planned or like i love doing i love doing spontaneous things but not when it's like a waste of time i don't know i, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't yeah, that. I feel like i just learned so much about you from that answer <laughs> no, i'm not gonna i'll never come unprepared <laughs> Well, I have a lot of friends who I'm a quality time type of person, but I have too many friends who are quantity time. And mm -hmm. I think that's why. Totally so, fair. Um, what about you? My warning label would say, warning, I don't do small talk. That's true. And neither do I. Neither do I, which is why these yes. cards have also been so helpful. Like I've I've used them with coworkers. Because if you've ever had to do like a coworker lunch or whatever, and people can be awkward and you talk about COVID maybe now, the weather and what's on Netflix. And then it's just like awkward silence. And then yep. maybe someone talks about their dog. Like, I hate it. I hate yes. that. Yes. Uh, so these like you, the like you cards are so helpful. We also have questions like, do you believe Zodiac signs tell you the truth about a person? And you could get to know a lot about somebody based yes. on that answer. or if you could change your first name what would you change it to Ooh. and just opportunities to actually like get to know people and cut through mm. a lot of that awkward small talk yeah uh, so the cards are currently available at target and then will be available at kohl's starting early next year okay so, so uh, what so i've learned about this this whole oh. episode is you're going to take my money because I need to purchase this. <laughs> yes. Book yes. And I need to purchase these like you cards because they, they both sound amazing. So you're going to get my money just so you know, um, <laughs> I did want to ask, I did want to ask one more question um, before we move on to our next uh, segment. You talk about like your whole, I mean, we only got into so, a little bit about your life, but yes. I do, I do want to know, like, si since you've been doing therapy, you, you know, you've written this book, what has been um, your biggest breakthrough? And the reason why I asked that is because I think what the black community needs to hear is, is, is those things, the positivity that comes through therapy. Um, because yes, it's hard. Yes, it is difficult. Yes, there are days you don't want to go. Yes, there are days where you don't like your therapist. But what would you say your biggest breakthrough has been? Uh, I, it's so funny you said that because there have definitely been days I'm looking at my therapist sideways like, <laughs> you, you don't know me. You do <laughs> not know <laughs> me. You think you are. Uh, but I, I would say probably twofold, really learning to validate my feelings and emotions. I spent a lot of time sweeping them under the rug or telling myself I just shouldn't feel that way. Like, yeah. you, well, you shouldn't feel sad or you shouldn't feel upset. You should just feel grateful and just not validating my feelings and emotions, but feelings and emotions are indicators and they point to what's actually going on inside. So if you bury them, I actually think you're doing yourself a disservice 
And at some point they tend to come up and it's usually at the most inopportune times. And you don't know why you're feeling, how you're feeling, or you're like, oh, I have this big work opportunity, but I just, I don't have the energy. I can't make myself do it. And it's really, it's just, you're just being weighed down by all this other stuff that you haven't mm -hmm. dealt with. Uh, so just giving myself that space and dignifying like who I am and what I think about things and kind of how I mentioned earlier, trying to find your voice, just learning how to silence a lot of the voices in my head that actually weren't coming from me. And, you know, in, in the church, you grow up and you hear about the enemy and the enemy comes to lie and kill and destroy. And is it the voice of the enemy or is it, you know, God and that's all great and dandy, but there are a lot of other voices in our heads too, that aren't necessarily yeah. the enemy, but that are still heavily affecting the decisions that we make. And yeah. sometimes their voices were, they weren't necessarily trying to inflict any harm, but it's been harmful for you. So if you had parents that told you, you needed to become a doctor and you didn't do that in your life. And so now there's this voice in your head telling you you're not good enough based off an expectation that a parent had of you yeah. or a pastor or a friend or a movie or a song or whatever, all these voices. I think therapy's really helped me to quiet all of the other voices and to really just hone in on what I believe about who mm -hmm. I am. And can I look in the mirror and feel good about my decisions? And I stopped not fully, but I think I don't necessarily make decisions anymore based upon all the voices in my head. I'm making decisions based upon what I think is the best way and just realizing how much fruit comes from learning to trust my instincts. And I do, for me, instinct is very close to purpose. Like whatever it is you feel like you were created to do in this world and be in this world, it's very tied to like an instinctual like animalistic pull towards something and that gets silenced when you give everybody else's voice more dignity than your own so good that's that was for free y'all <laughs> for free you know what i mean oh man yeah that's that's good um but now let's uh transition to our next segment the segment of segments Rapid fire. Beep, 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 beep. So how this will work is first thing that comes to your mind, don't pass go, don't collect two hundred dollars. Don't ask the dog. Answer it. Just be authentic. Whatever comes to mind. Um They're super so, deep. Super deep, by the way. Yes. Uh right. what's your favorite author? Louise May Alcott, who wrote Little Women. Okay. All right. All right. Next question is, what is your favorite snack? It's a hard question. Right now, string cheese. <laughs> oh, wow. I was not oh, expecting yeah. that. Man, I know. That's I've awesome. been craving it lately. I don't know. I went through like a lunchable phase too. I feel like I'm revisiting all my five and six-year-old favorite snacks. Literally oh. has happened to me too. I've been eating Pop-Tarts for randomly. And yeah. I, I haven't eaten yes. pop tarts in years. Yes, they're Why so good. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Oh, that's awesome. What is something new you are learning? I'm reading this book called The Untethered Soul, and it psychologically kind of dives into uh, like id, ego, super ego, and like Freud's idea of identity. And it's really fascinating. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, Kia, it was so great to have you on the podcast. Yes, it was amazing. Uh, yeah, we really appreciate you. Y'all, please go support her. Please grab her book. Uh, grab those like you cards. Uh, you won't be uh, you won't be sad. So thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Yes. Hey, until next time, be authentic in everything that you do. Ooh, we. I mean, I mean, Tony, can we just talk about how great this one was? 
I mean, that's what we're doing, ain't we? <laughs> I, you know what? I, I love her story because I feel like so many black people can relate. Can relate to her story, you know, growing up in a predominantly white area, going through those moments um, of being a black woman or a black person in a predominantly white, white area. And then to write a book about why therapy isn't just for white people. I mean, yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah. And she's just talking about like her story and in her journey. It it just blows my mind that like she's doing so much and still like just trying to figure out what it means to fully be her. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really awesome to hear and and be a part of. Yeah. Yeah, no, this was this was definitely another another great one. Um we just I mean, don't miss we 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 don't you know and it's not us it's our guests to be That's to be true. quite frank yeah. it's the guests that just keep bringing it so guys keep keep watching um but you guys know keep what time watching. it is it's the friendship quiz and it's the quiz of all quizzes i don't know whose question it is is it your question tony it's my question well i'm going to get it right so whatever i'm going to i'm going to give you an easy one all right when is my birthday Yikes! <laughs> oh wait, no, wait wait wait, 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 wait! I know this. Maybe not. Um. Wow. Okay, can you give me a hint? Is it in? Is it in the summer or is it in the fall? Oh no, hints. I'm sorry, but come on, right. I have I have two dates in mind. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, is it August? No, it's not August. Is it October? <sighs> Tony, that this is not an easy one. Um <laughs> I'm gonna say <sighs> I'm not gonna get it wrong. Like October tenth. Bro, that that's not bad. October second. Oh, <laughs> that's not bad. I was like, is it August or is it October? I'm like, well, if it would have been August, we would have said something. So it has to be October. Yep. Okay. Do I get a half a point, maybe? A half a point. Yeah. Okay. Great, because I can't tell you any of our other friends' birthdays, to be quite frank. Okay. <laughs> well, I know I'm your favorite then. There you go. So I feel that. (laughs) Hey, guys. Thank you again for listening. Um, Again, keep tuning in. Please give us a rating. Share it. Share it. Share it. Share it. Um, Follow us on IG. IG. TikTok. We're on TikTok. We're on YouTube. We're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And and be on the lookout for IG uh, after this post. We might be doing a book giveaway. Ooh. Hey, we drop every Tuesday, so check us out. Hey, but until next time, be authentic in everything that you do. Peace. Peace.